All right, well, let's go to God's word as we are in week number 10 in a study through the New Testament book of James that we're calling When Faith Grows Up. In this book, James, the half-brother of Jesus, writing to Jewish Christians that had been scattered all throughout the Roman Empire, what James does in this book is he tells us what mature Christian faith really looks like. Now, if you've been with us throughout this series, you know, and I've said this over and over, but like James doesn't pull any punches, right? I mean, have you ever just said to someone or they've said to you, you know what, you just need to grow up. How many have ever said that to somebody? Or maybe somebody has said that to you. Well, that's kind of what James is saying all, to, all throughout this book to us as Christians. It's, it's time for y'all to learn to grow up and your faith. And, you know, as we've made our way through the book, we, you, you've recognized sometimes James is very pointed. He's very sharp in how he does so. I mean, he calls us out. He sticks it to us. But thankfully, James does more than that. James also tells us how to grow up in our faith in all kinds of practical areas of life. And, you know, that's one of the things that I absolutely love about James, but it's, it's what I love about the Bible as a whole. Yes, yes, it calls out our flaws, but it, it also tells us how to get things right and why it's so important for us to do so. That's because contrary to popular opinion, God's biggest desire is not to condemn us. Do you realize that? His biggest desire is to save us from our sins and grow us into maturity so that we can become all that he's created us to be. You say, what's that? It's, it's people who bring glory and honor to his name. And if you think about it, God is, God is really no different than any loving parent is. Because of his love for us, he, he desires to guide us into maturity so that we can be healthy, productive members of society who make a difference for his kingdom in this world. That's his desire. He's for you. Tell the person next to you, God is for you. Tell them that's why God deals with you about stuff. That's what I love about the Bible. That's what I love about God. He's, he, he deals with us because he loves us. Now, as we come to James chapter 5, we come to the, the strongest uh, rebuke by far in the entire book of James. So let's go ahead and read it. Only six verses, but I want you to see what I mean. You're going to pick it up very fast. James writes this, starting in verse 1. Now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted, and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you fail to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourself in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. Okay, what do you do with that, right? Now, I got to tell you this morning, uh, this is one of the reasons I love working verse by verse through the Bible, because there are times that I come to a week that it's the next text, and I'm like, I got to preach this. And, and, I, and it forces me to deal with the entire counsel of God's word. Now, what we read here, it sounds a lot like something you'd read out of the Old Testament, doesn't it? 
I mean, James is sounding like one of the prophets of old, and, and I think you really see his Jewish roots coming out in this particular passage. I want to help you understand why James is saying this, because there's a bullseye here that if you get it, you're going to go, oh, okay, I, I get it. Now, as we begin, there are two important things that I need to, to take the time to help you understand if you're going to understand this passage. First, James is talking about the corrupt, rich non-Christians of his day. I want you to go back to verse 1 for a moment, and I want you to notice how he addresses the people he's talking about. He says, now listen, otherwise come on now, you rich people. You understand that's not how he's been addressing Christians throughout the rest of this book. In fact, 14 times in the book of James, the way James addresses Christians is brothers and sisters, and he does it over and over. Let me remind you of some of those 14 places, chapter 1, verse 2, consider it pure joy, my, what is it? Brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, chapter 1, verse 19, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Chapter 2, verse 1, my what? Brothers and sisters, take note of, or, or brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Christ must not show favoritism. That's where we're at. Yeah, that's where we're at. Chapter 2, verse 14, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Chapter 3, verse 10, out of the same mouth come praise and cursing, my brothers and sisters, this should not be. James chapter 4, verse 11, brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. And we talked about that whole passage of, of playing the role of God last week. But when you came to James, come to James chapter 1, he says, now listen, you rich people. So he's not talking about Christians here. It's also important that you understand James is not calling out the rich because they're rich. It's the misuse of the riches that he's addressing. You see, everyone in the world, when we talk about uh, economics, whether it be physically or spiritually, fall into one of four categories. In fact, everyone in this room would fall into one of these categories. And so physical condition, there are people that are poor. They just don't have a lot of means. They don't have a lot of wealth. And there are people that are physically poor, but they're also spiritually poor, which means they don't have a relationship with God. And then there's that second group where there are people that are physically, they have wealth, they're rich, but they're also spiritually rich because they have a relationship with God. And then you can see how that goes. There are certain people that are physically poor, but they're rich spiritually, and then there are rich but are poor. So you get that everyone falls into one of those four groups. And regardless of which category you find yourself in, everybody in all four of these groups, when they die, is either going to go to heaven or hell, and riches will have nothing to do with it when it comes to material wealth. Spiritual wealth does, but not physical wealth. Finding forgiveness for your sin through Jesus, through faith in Jesus, will. Amen? I mean, it's a reminder to us that the ground is level with the foot of the cross. We, we all get to heaven the same way, whether we're rich or poor in this world, and that's through faith in Jesus. I say all that to say this. It's not a sin to have material wealth. Some of the most revered Bible characters were rich. Think about Abraham and Joseph and King David and King Solomon and Job to name a few. 
A lot of other prominent Bible characters were very poor. The Bible covers a spectrum of people in, 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 in life. The issue is not whether you have riches, but do those riches have you? 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10 says this, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Now, it didn't say money is a root of all kinds of evil. It said the what? Love. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. So what these rich people that James was talking about were doing with their wealth, well, it revealed their true spiritual condition. And that shouldn't surprise any of us because Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your what? Heart, Heart will be also. We talked about this when we did the Money Talk series in the spring. Listen, if you want to know where somebody's maturity really is spiritually, just look at what they do with their wealth. Because it's not going to lie to you. Because where your treasure is, your heart is what? Also. also. So these people that James is talking about, these rich, wicked, corrupt non-Christians are not being called out because of their wealth. It's what they're doing with their wealth that's the issue. Important you understand that. Now, that brings me to the second thing that you need to understand about this text. James is talking to the Christians of his day. You say, what do you mean? Well, these verses were not meant directly for the ears of the corrupt rich. So this is not meant to be, understand, this is not meant to be a complaining session about all the bad corrupt people in the world. Okay? Can I tell you, that's what you'll find in a whole lot of churches when they gather nowadays. Okay? It's, it's the worship, worship of politics and power wrapped up in spiritual clothing. Right? Well, those Democrats, those Republicans, and you know Joe Biden and Donald, Donald Trump. Listen, I want you to understand, James did not write these verses for them to go on a crusade against these rich, powerful people. You said, then why did he write these, this stinging rebuke? Why did he write it to Christians? To help them grow up in their faith. You see, in James's day, there was the rich and there was the poor. There really was no such thing as middle class. And the rich, because of their wealth, had tremendous power over the poor. And so, so they could buy whatever they wanted. They could manipulate the justice system with their wealth. They could steal, they could mistreat, and even at times murder the poor without any fear of justice. And I got to be honest with you, I don't think much has changed in 2,000 years. It just looks a little more modern and cleaned up nowadays, amen? amen. Anyway, what you got to understand is the majority of Christians in James's day were primarily made up of the poor of society. And they were often taken advantage of by the rich in society. In fact, James actually alludes to what life was like for a lot of these poor Christians. Uh, writing back in James chapter 2, verse 6, let me take you back there. He gives us a little peek. He says, are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who are dragging you into court? They're doing it unjustly is the idea. They're persecuting them. James wrote his rebuke of the corrupt rich here with one big thought in mind. And here's what it is. And if you understand this, you'll understand the passage. Christians, when you're envious of the rich and all they have, 
When you're caught up in how unfair the world is, when you see the wicked getting away with their wicked schemes in this world, when you're wondering where God is in all this, you need to remember that there is a day of judgment coming. A day when every knee and every tongue will confess that God is God and God is in his righteousness and perfect justice is going to judge and set all things straight. That's why these people, James says, should, should look at it. He says, now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. So what he's saying is, oh, if these witch or, or these wicked rich only knew what was coming, they'd already be wailing and weeping now. So here's the message for Christians. In light of the fact that judgment's coming, you need to live with eternity in mind. When people seem like they're getting away with everything, when you know the corrupt schemes of the wicked seem to be prospering, you need to remember that you live different. You live with eternity in mind. You need to remember that you were made for eternity. You need to remember this world is not going to be your permanent home. You need to remember that the wicked are not going to get away with anything because God is going to hold them accountable for all they've done. That's why James says in verse 7, right after his strong uh, commendation, you know, his strong rebuke of the wicked rich, that's why he says in verse 7, watch this, be patient then, what is it? Brothers. brothers and sisters, otherwise, in light of what I just said concerning this rich people, be patient, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. Why? Because when he comes back, he's going to hold everybody to account and set everything straight. The key to being patient in this world is to remember that you're headed for a kingdom that's not of this world. It's to remember that Jesus is coming back again, and when he arrives, he's going to set it all straight. Listen, the wicked are going to be judged, the abused are going to be vindicated, he's going to set all things straight for all of eternity. Until then, you're going to have to learn to live patiently with eternity in mind. That's the big picture idea of what's behind verses one through six here. And what he's saying is, I know, I know it doesn't seem worth it now, but oh, it's gonna be worth it. Remember what he said last week uh, in the end of chapter four, remember your life is but a vapor. I mean, I know it seems long right now and I know the season and I know the pain seems hard right now, but, th but this is gonna go by so fast and it's gonna be so worth it to be in God's kingdom. Amen. You need to live with that mentality in mind. Now, as we further examine James's indictment of these rich people, we're going to further learn how we can live with eternity in mind. And so I want you to understand this passage like this. A lot of times in the Old Testament, um, certain times God would send the prophet to talk to the wicked people, but in other times God would rebuke the, the nations around Israel, not as a way of going on a crusade against them, but as a way of teaching his people, don't be like them. You can think of this passage like that. So what James does is he, he unfolds a fourfold indictment against these rich people, and we're going to learn some things along the way about living with eternity in mind. Indictment number one against these wicked rich people, their wealth was uselessly hoarded. Number one, their wealth was uselessly hoarded. Look at verse two once again. He says, your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. 
Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Otherwise, don't you know Jesus is going to come back soon? Now, in ancient times, your wealth ended up in one of three forms. It ended up in grain, garments, and gold and silver. And James really alludes to all three here. Look at this. Your wealth has rotted. That's talking about grain. That's talking about food. Now, you all know this because every once in a while, the food you have stored up in your refrigerator, you have to go in in what? No matter how long it's in there, you eventually got to go and clean it out. Okay? Even with freezers, you, you keep stuff in the freezer so long, eventually it what? It, it spoils and it becomes freezer burned and you have to throw it out. And that would happen with, with food. That's, so you get that. Your wealth has rotted. And then it says, moths have eaten your clothes. And it says your gold and silver, and, and coins is the idea here, are corroded or are rusted. Now, if you know anything about gold and silver, they don't rust, they, they tarnish. But what you have to understand is that this period of time in history, the gold, the gold and silver coins were not pure gold and silver coins. It was mixed with other metals. And so guess what would happen? Those coins would actually rust away. Here's the question. Why had their wealth rotted, been eaten, and become hoarded? Because they weren't being used. They were just sitting there uselessly, wasting away, doing nothing. So understand what they hoarded got wasted. They, they could have at least done something useful with it. I mean, you think about it. What a stinking waste of your riches. Well, when judgment comes, James says these unsaved rich are going to realize they wasted their opportunity in this life. And the record of what they did with their worldly wealth is going to testify against them. Not only, not only are these rich going to realize they wasted their opportunity to spend eternity in heaven because they rejected Christ for their salvation, but they're going to realize they wasted an opportunity to use the wealth they had to make an eternal difference for God's kingdom. They did nothing with the opportunity that was before them that brought any kind of of eternal value to their life. Therefore, when judgment day comes, you're going to have weeping and wailing, and it's going to be an outflow of regret that they wasted their opportunity. Now, Jesus makes this very same point in the parable of the talents. Let me take you there. I want you to see this. So interesting. Matthew chapter 25, verse 14 through 30. You remember that parable? It's called the parable of the talents. Uh, in some of the new modern translations, it's called parable of, of, of the gold bags because talent is a sum of money and gold bags makes it easier for people to understand. And so, you, so when we say talents here, we're talking about a sum, a, a sum of money. But remember that parable, a, a king goes away and he entrusts his riches to his servants. And to one servant, the king gave five talents to another servant, he gave two talents. And to a third servant, he gave one talent. And while the king was away, that, that first servant took the five talents entrusted to him. He put it to work, and he gained five more talents for the king. And so now he had ten talents. And the second servant took the, the, sec, the two talents that had been entrusted to him, and he put it to work, and he gained two more talents for the king. So he now had how many talents? Four. But the third servant 
took the one talent that was entrusted to him, hoarded it by burying it in the ground. He absolutely did nothing with it. Well, when the king came back, he held all the servants to account for how they managed the resources that he had entrusted to them. And the first servant who had taken the five talents and gained five more, look what the king said to him. Uh, Matthew chapter 25, verse 21. You know this very well-known scripture verse. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Well, to the servant who had the two talents and gained two more with it, the king said the exact same thing. But to the last servant who hoarded his talent, look what the king says to him. Verse 26, his master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Now, I highlighted this part and we'll come back to it. Just keep it in mind. He says, well, then. You should have put your money on deposit with the bankers so that when I return, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And now watch verse 30. And throw this worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So understand this parable. Now, this is Jesus telling this story. The servant, understand, the servant in the story wasted his opportunity to give the king a good return by hoarding the talent entrusted to him. Think about it. He could have invested that talent in an effort to expand the king's kingdom, but he differed. The servant also, everybody say also. Also. The servant also wasted his opportunity to be a part of the king's kingdom. Do you understand? That's why he was thrown out in darkness at the end. You say, Pastor, I don't don't understand. I don't know. What what does this all mean? Here's Here's the meaning of the parable. Every single one of us are stewards of what God has entrusted to us in this life. Everything belongs to God. Everything you own belongs to God. You come into the world naked and you leave without it, right? You leave it behind. Somebody else gets what you had when you leave. It's all God's. In fact, here's the thing. Not only is your wealth and riches God's, your life, your very life belongs to God. Your every breath, every breath you take belongs to God. Okay? You own nothing. Here's what I want you to get. We expand God's kingdom when we put our faith in Christ for our own salvation. Why? Because we are now going to be there for all eternity. There's another one coming, and it's me. Amen? Amen. We also help expand God's kingdom when we invest our worldly wealth to see other people come to know Jesus. In fact, when we use our lives, it could be more than wealth. It could be your time, your talents. And when other people put their faith in Jesus, guess what expands? kingdom of God. It's a good return for the kingdom of God. The problem in the parable is the servant did neither of those things. He didn't invest the wealth entrusted to him to make a difference for the king's kingdom, and he didn't do the most important thing that he could have done, which was to invest his life in the kingdom. That's what verse 27 is all about. 
Let me read it to you again. Well, then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So I don't get that. I don't get it. That alludes to us finding salvation in Jesus. Say, so what do you mean? Well, listen, Jesus did the work for us on the cross so that we could be paid for our sins. It was his work, right? Okay. All we had to do was put our faith in him. Do you understand when you entrust your wealth to a banker, you earn interest that you didn't have to work for. They did the work and you earned the interest. You see the connection in the parable. The reason the servant was thrown into the darkness or hell was because he wasn't saved, not because he didn't invest his wealth in the kingdom. The tragedy is the servant hoarded both himself and his wealth. He missed the major opportunity. Well, it's the same thing that James is saying that's going on, going to happen to the rich unsaved that he's talking about in our text this morning. I mean, this is why there's going to be weeping and mourning and gnashing of teeth and hell, I don't think that's because it's going to be so painful. It's because there's going to be a lot of people who go, oh my gosh, I wasted my opportunity not only to be in the kingdom, but to, to advance the kingdom. Now you say, what does this, this all have to teach us as Christians? Well, we should have eternity in mind with, when it comes to how we handle our life. I mean, do you remember, and, you know, I mean, it, it's, once again, it's not just about your wealth, but w what did you do with, with your life? What, what, how did you love people? How, how did you use your time? How did you use your talents? I mean, was it all just about you, or did you invest what God gave you in order to, to be a part of, of giving a return for the king's business? By the way, do you know what the king's business is? It's people. That's what's most valuable to God. It's people. Now, let's talk about our wealth for a second, because that, that's a part of it. Do you, do you remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 6 through 19? Well, if you don't remember, I'm going to tell you. So here we go. <laughs> I say that all the time, like I'm about to show them, right? Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in what? Heaven, where moss and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, we talked about this in the Money Talk series, but let me remind you. The only way to store up for yourself treasure in heaven is you've got to give. It's the only way to do it. You do it through giving. Your time, your talents. When you, when you give your treasure in order to make an investment to build God's kingdom, that's how you're storing up treasure in heaven. There's no other way to do that. This is why I'm such a big believer in habitual, regular tithing or giving because you know what it does? It helps me from the habit of hoarding. And by the way, I know what some of you are thinking. Well, Pastor, this message is not for me because I don't have anything to hoard. Uh, it's not just rich people that hoard. Poor people can do it too. In the parable of the talents, which one hoarded the, was the hoarder? It was the one that had the least. You know why? Because he was afraid to let it go. And the Bible says, when you use your treasure to invest in God's kingdom, God says, you put me first. I'm going to make sure everything else in your life is taken care of. And you know what God then does is he says, I'm going to bless you. Now, he doesn't bless you so you can get more and hoard more. He blesses you so you can go, boy, I got a lot more I can do things for God with. 
This is why it's so important to be a good steward of your life, and there's nothing wrong with saving. This is not an anti-save message, but the reason I save isn't to hoard. The reason to save is so that I could be better off in the long term so I can keep out of that savings, make a good difference for God's kingdom. Let me see if I can drive this point home for you. Rich man dies, goes to heaven. By the way, this is not in the Bible, so you're not going to find it. <laughs> rich man dies, he goes to heaven, is very rich. And the good news is he had Jesus, right? He, 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 he was saved. He gets to heaven, shows up there, and uh, the angel says, okay, I'm glad you're here. You, you met Jesus. I'm going to take you to your place now. And, and uh, they start walking down the streets of gold, and they come up, I mean, there's this beautiful mansion after mansion after mansion, beautiful manicured lawns, beautiful flowing water, trees, lush. And he comes up to this over the ridge, and there's this huge house sitting there. And he goes, oh my gosh, is that mine? The rich man says, and, and, and the angel says, no, that's your butler's. He's like, oh my gosh, if that's my butler's, I can't wait to see mine. So they keep walking, and they walk around the bend. And there's even a bigger house. I mean, it's twice the size of the butler's. They're, they're, it's just amazing. And he goes, oh, my God. And the guy just says, no, no, no. Keep calm. That's your maids. He's like, oh, my gosh. Heaven is way better than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> and they walk down to the valley, and s- all of a sudden, they come across this 10 by 10 shack with a tin roof with fabric for windows. And the angel stops, and says, this is your place. And the rich man's like, what in the world? And the angel said to him, we did the best best with what you sent us. (laughs) That's actually biblical truth. Paul says in his writings that some of us are going to be saved. That's good, but we're not going to have anything to show for it when it comes to rewards because we just did not steward our life the way we could. All right, back to James 5 for indictment number two. James says that when it comes to these rich people, their wealth was unjustly gained. Verse 4, it says, look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. And so instead of giving fair wages to those who had done work for them, the, the rich often cheated the poor people. They refused to pay the wages that they said. And we kind of saw an example of this. You remember the financial crisis in 2008 here in our country where big firms were failing and uh, they were laying off people and they were not paying their bills, but their executives were getting big bonuses still. Same type of thing that's happening, similar type of things was happening to the poor in James's day. And instead of, of the rich adjusting their lavish lifestyle, they would steal from the labors by withholding proper wages. Now, what you've got to understand is a lot of the poor people in ancient society, they lived hand to mouth. So if they didn't get paid at the end of each workday, guess what? There would be nothing for dinner that night. And what James is reminding us here is, is the wicked, here, here's the deal. He's saying, listen, the wicked may seem like they're getting away with their evil, but what they don't realize is God is seeing and listening into everything that's happening. He hears it all. He sees it all. There's nothing getting by his ears. That's why he says, watch this, the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. And I wish I had time to exposit this, but the Lord Almighty there, it's translated Lord Almighty in the NIV here. It's, there's a specific name for God. And what it really means here is the Lord, the one who judges, hears. 
So here come the judge, right? He heard. The lesson for us Christians is to be reminded that the Lord is always listening in. So think about this. When people mistreat us, guess who's listening? The Lord. When we mistreat other peoples. Okay? Sometimes we think, well, nobody knows. Listen, the Lord knows. This is a part of living with eternity in mind. Listen, it doesn't matter whether I get caught or not. It doesn't matter whether I'm getting away with it or not. The truth is my heavenly father is always watching me and I live different because I live with eternity in mind. Okay, so think about it. That means I don't cheat on my taxes when I have the opportunity. I don't fudge the numbers. I don't, I don't take advantage of people. We can go on and on with different things. Why? Because God is the almighty judge and, and God knows. Can I tell you, sometimes with, when you come with the wicked, it, 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 he doesn't wait for judgment day. I mean, they're going to get judged on judgment day, but people in this life, God judges them. We see, how many saw that whole uh, uh, Bitcoin thing? I mean, corrupt as could be, right? And it all come crashing down. We see stories like this all the time. How many know truth and time eventually catch up? I, I love this Old Testament passage. Uh, same thing that James is saying here. Look at this. Deuteronomy 24, verse 14 through 15. says, Do not take advantage of a hired worker who is poor and needy, whether that worker is a fellow Israelite or a foreigner residing in one of your towns. I love that. We like to categorize who it's okay to be mean against, right? And, and God's like, doesn't matter who it is. They're, they're a person. They're living, breathing. I don't care. Them. Watch this, pay them their wages each day before sunset because they are poor and are counting on it. Otherwise, you, they may cry out to the Lord against you and you will be guilty of sin. So what's the big pr principle for us? The Lord's always listening. Whether it's out in public or in private. And that affects the way that I live. I live with eternity in mind. That brings us to indictment number three of these rich. Their wealth was self-indulgently spent. Now watch this. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. And so the wealthy wicked, I mean, they're just, they're living for pleasure. They're fattening their bellies. I mean, they're trying to meet all their needs with toys and pleasures and all those kind of things. It's, it's the playboy lifestyle. And and, and it looks pretty to everybody else, right? And here's what James is saying. Christians, don't be jealous of them. Don't be envious of them. Don't desire to be in their shoes. Why is that? Because look what James says about them. He says, you have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourself in the day for, of slaughter. You know what he's calling them? The fatted calf. Now, I got to tell you something to help you understand this. My in-laws, Amy's parents, uh, raised black Angus cattle. And so um, I've been married to my wonderful wife, God's greatest gift to me in all the world. Um, but for 24 years, one of those cows finds its way into my freezer every year. <laughs> if I know that bef before we got to, we didn't even need to date, right? We just, I'm in, right? <laughs> Free beef, 24 years. It's, 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 they bless us, like, tremendously. But here's what happens at the farm. So the cows are out roaming the fields, 
And when it's time to, to think about slaughtering, you take the cows you're going to slaughter, you put them in the pen by the house, and you begin to feed them. You begin to fatten them. And those cows are loving it. They're like, oh, this is great. This is way better than being in the field. And, and the other cows are looking in like, well, that's nice. We got to wander these hills looking for good grain to eat. We got to, we, I mean, it's hard out here. We got to go over 20 acres this way and 40 acres that way. And they get to sit there in luxury. Now, it would be stupid for the cows outside the pen to think that. Why? Because you don't want to be the cow in the pen because you are the one to what? Slaughter's coming. I think the lesson here for us is this. Don't envy the fatted calf. Don't get caught up in thinking that life is so unfair and, and why this and why that. And I get it, man. There are times I'm like, I don't understand. I've done everything I was supposed to do, but the wicked are prospering and I am not. And at times when we get into that cycle, we start to become very unsteady in our faith. And it can cause us to question and wonder where God is in the midst of all the wicked going on in the world. And what James is saying is, I want you to remember eternity's coming. I, I got news for you. God's not going to answer all your prayers this side of eternity. But he's going to answer them all on the other side of eternity. Do you understand you, this world is not your permanent home? When it's all said and done, nobody is going to get away with anything. Don't envy the fatted calf. Remember whose you are and where you're headed. I'm going to take you to Psalm 73 because the psalmist was struggling with this. Uh, and, and he writes this. This is why I love the Bible so much. It's so real. He says, surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. And we would go, Amen. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. He's talking about spiritually. He's struggling spiritually. Watch this. Why? What is it? For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from common human burdens. They are not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts come iniquity, for, evil for their evil imaginations have no limits. And I'm going to spare you the rest of it, because he goes on and on and on and on, because he's like, I've thought a lot about this. <laughs> like, I pondered this way more than I should have. But I, right? And then he gets to verse 16, and he says this. When I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply. Can I just say there are some things in this side of eternity you're not going to understand until you get on that side. How did you steady yourself, psalmist? How did you come back? Watch this. It troubled me deeply till I entered the sanctuary of God. Oh, I come back to God and his people and his word. And then I understood their final destiny. You know what he says? I remembered the end of the story. I got back to living with eternity in mind. Can I tell you, that's a part of growing up in your faith. 
I'm not saying you're not going to have questions. I'm not saying there aren't times that are going to be painful. There are going to be painful times in this world. But, but I watch people. I mean, it's like, you know what? I'm good with God as long as God is doing everything I want. But when, when I'm out, you know what maturity is? I don't get it. And I got a lot of questions. But I remember whose I am. And I remember where I'm headed. And I remember that I'm living for eternity. I'm not living for the here and now. This, this is sometimes the thing that steadies you in crisis. I, I, I remember when we lost our first child. Our first child passed away at birth. And it was like, God, we were doing everything right. We're in the smack the middle of your will. And you allow this child to die. What in the world? But you know what I've come to realize over time? You know what steadied me? Oh, my goodness, we created a life that will last for eternity. I'm one day closer to seeing that, that child of mine. My hand of grace, I'm going to see again one day. I think about other things in my life. I think about my mom, and I think, look, she was a God goodly, godly woman. She was an amazing godly woman, and she prayed for her healing, and she had nine terrible years of fighting cancer, and you took her to be in heaven. God, what was that about? And I remember, hey, she was made for eternity, not just for here. And I'm one day closer to seeing her again. And I'm not telling you it's easy, but I'm telling you, you start to grow up in your faith when you go, you know what, I don't get it, but I'll tell you what, my Lord gets it. He knows I'm going to trust him because he has a plan. I know the end of the story, and it's going to be all right. Therefore, I will love you, Lord, with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. You know what he's saying? Don't envy the fatted calf. Because this is not the end of the story. That brings us to our fourth and final indictment and, and of the corrupt rich. Their wealth with, was ruthlessly acquired. Verse 6, it says, you have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. And this is really alluding to persecution. I mean, a lot of these Christians were being persecuted. You, you say, why? Money. So let me tell you what happened in the, in the, in the kingdom, in the Roman Empire. As Christianity was exploding... A lot of society was profiting and also part of the workforce and lots of immoral things. And as people come to find, find Jesus and they were being set free of, of habits and, and the way where they're living their life, guess what was, guess whose profits were going down? The rich. And so this is one of the major reasons why the early church was persecuted because Jesus was messing with, with their pocketbooks. Christianity wasn't good for business. How many know Christianity is still not good for business to the world? <laughs> it's one of the reasons they persecute. I think the message is, again, the same. You're going to be persecuted, but remember, this is not your home. They persecuted Jesus, they're going to persecute you. You've got to live with eternity in mind. Remember what Jesus said, don't fear those who can killed the body physically fear the one who controls your soul right where your soul goes who can destroy your soul that's the one you need to bow down to so that's a fourfold indictment and once again you got to live with eternity in mind it's what steadies you in this race called life and this is why once again it's so important to stay connected to remember the psalmist ah i went back to the sanctuary I kept my, my, myself grounded in the things of God, the word of God, the, the people of God. Let me give you some final thoughts as we close and we'll be done. Number one, fixation with material things produces bad fruit. 
If you have a love and money in your life, it's going to lead down a lot of roads. They're going to bring a lot of hard things into your life. I found this in one of my commentaries this week, and I, thought, I just wanted to put it in the notes. I thought it was good. Go and put the next one up. It says, the world says love money and use people. The Bible says love people and use money. It's the message of the Bible. Number two, make the most of the opportunity God has entrusted to you in whatever season of life you're in. God, I'm not what I used to be, but here's where I am now. How can I do the best with what you've given me, the energy you give me, the health that you've given me, the, the mind that you've given me? How can I use my wealth for your kingdom? How, how can I do this? How can I take advantage of this short thing called life to lay up treasure to prepare for my day when I'm interning? Make the most of every opportunity God has entrusted to you. Number three, don't envy the wicked. I mean, listen, a lack of judgment today doesn't mean a lack of judgment tomorrow. And number four, I love this one. It's my favorite one. Be patient. Jesus is coming back. I think this is particularly important in the day and age we live in now because the world is a mess. It's getting more a mess. And we're going, oh my goodness. Listen, I know it's a mess and I know it's not easy, but Jesus is still on the throne and he's coming back. And what steadies me not to be fearful is I live with eternity in mind. And I know the end of the story. And the end of the story says Jesus wins. And if I'm with Jesus, I'm going to be okay. It's living with eternity in mind. Would you bow your heads with me as we close? Two questions. Number one, are you making Christian? Are you making the most of every opportunity that God has put before you? Are you being a good steward of your life? You only have a short time to do that. What are you sending ahead of you? How are you laying up treasures in heaven, whether it come to your time or your talent or your treasure? Secondly, there may be some of you in here today, you have never invested your life in the kingdom of God, and you do that through putting your faith in Jesus. Listen, you will not be in heaven if your sins don't get paid for, and you don't have what it takes to pay for it. No amount of earthly riches can get you into heaven. Your sin is so expensive, no amount of good works could make up for one sin, yet alone all your sins. But because of God's love for you, he says, I'm going to take care of the problem for you. He sent his one and only son that whoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You need to put your life in the hands of Jesus. And if you've never done that, I want to give you an opportunity. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Maybe you're online this morning. But if you're out there this morning, I'm not going to ask you to stand. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. But I do want to pray with you before we end. Every head bowed and every eye closed. If you're here this morning and said, you know what? I've never invested my life to be a part of the kingdom of God. I've never given, given my life to Jesus. Every head bowed. Would you just raise your hand and say, Pastor, pray for me. I see that hand. I see that hand. I'm going to lead you in a prayer, and I'm going to ask you just to say it from your heart to God's heart. And Christian, Christians, you're already Christian, but would you do the, me the favor of pray with us? Dear God, I come to you today, and I thank you for your son Jesus that you sent into this world to die on a cross for me, to pay for the price of my sin so that I could be forgiven and spend eternity with you. I confess that I'm a sinner. I ask you to forgive me for my sins. 
Jesus, I ask you to come into my life. Help me. Transform me. Teach me to be the best steward I could be of my life that it may give you a good kingdom return. Thank you for saving me. Help me to serve you for this day, from this day forward with all my heart, all my mind, all my soul, and all my strength. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand. Lord, we worship you. Lord, we praise you. So go ahead and stand. Prayer partners, would you begin to come, get in place? If you're here this morning, any need it may be in your life, we'd love to pray with you. If you gave your heart to the Lord for the very first time, we want to encourage you in your faith walk. So come, let us pray with you. God bless you. Have a great Sunday. We'll see you next week.